For this episode of Coffee with Closers, I'm sitting down with Gina DeLapa, the best-selling author of multiple books, including Thriving at Work. She serves as the president of Thriving Cultures, a company that specializes in helping organizations develop a strong culture. Gina is an expert in all things company culture and leadership development. Stay tuned for my conversation with Gina where she shares practical insights on how to grow as a leader and how to build a strong company culture. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Coffee with Closers, where business leaders share insights on how to build businesses from the ground up and best practices for innovating in their industry. Hey, Gina, I'm super excited to have you join me for this episode of Coffee with Closers. Hey, thank you, Samuel. It's great to be here. Oh, yeah. I've been looking forward to this discussion. You are an expert on culture and, and building you know, an amazing company culture. So certainly want to get into that discussion. But every entrepreneur that I ever had on the show had an amazing story of how they overcame obstacles to become an entrepreneur. I'm sure you have something very similar to tell. So can you tell our audience a little bit about your journey of becoming an entrepreneur? Sure. Well, you know, I didn't set out, Samuel, to be an entrepreneur. And sometimes I look back and go, maybe that's how I know it was meant to be. Um, I had a, a job I was good at and I loved working at a university as a career counselor. Um, so I'll take you back to the spring of 2007. I had the best performance review of my life. I mean, it sounded like my mother wrote it. Uh, but there were only two problems. There were two things I really wanted to do for uh, for the department I worked in, and my my boss politely shot them down right away, and it was kind of a bummer. And and uh, you know I knew he liked me and respected me and vice versa, but I remember saying to him, I understand that they may not these dreams might not fit in here, but these dreams might not go away. And I was surprised to hear myself say that because that's something kind of an entrepreneur, typical kind of mindset that you've got an idea that it won't let you go. And so, yeah, sure enough, a few months later, I gave my 30 day notice, four weeks, whatever it was that they had asked for, left on very good terms. I actually ended up doing some work for them when I left, but I went out on my own. And I think the, the, the big obstacle that I had overcome even prior to that, I had lost someone very close to me a few months before. Somebody, it's my childhood best friend, and uh, it was kind of a pivotal moment. And it woke me up and made me think, whatever you're going to do with your life, get on with it now. Don't mm -hmm. wait. Um, so maybe someone in our audience can hear that and say, mm -hmm. yeah, that sounds like me. Um, take what happens to you and, you know, don't, there's a saying, don't waste a good crisis. So, so true. And yeah. obviously, obviously that wasn't the only experience you had with entrepreneurial um, uh, no. uh, life, right? No, you not You grew up in a all. home that encouraged you. Oh. So you want to share a little bit about how that upbringing may have had some impact on you turning into an entrepreneur? Yeah. And in a way it kind of had everything to do mm -hmm. with that. I almost forget about it because it's just sort of part of in my bloodstream. But yeah, so I was born into a family of entrepreneurs. My parents had started a pizza business in the family garage before I was born. And by the time I was 10 years old, I was uh, informally on the payroll, summer mm -hmm. after fourth grade, um, you know, just doing very menial work for 50 cents an hour. But my first paycheck was, I think, $3.50. And I was over the moon because mm -hmm. I had power, or, you know, I could earn my own <laughs> money. And um, it wasn't so glamorous. 
<clears throat> Christmas vacation in fifth grade when my parents, the day after Christmas, are hauling me out of bed and saying, you know, you got to go to work. Like, <laughs> yesterday we were opening presents and now, you know, so, but, um, but they've been entrepreneurs for my whole life. My dad is still um, very much of that mindset. He's always got a project going. And so working in the family business, hearing every night at the dinner table about who did what and all the dramas and ups and downs inherent in a business um, was very much a part of my upbringing and ethos and education. So, yeah, so so going out on my own did not feel foreign. And it, it, and it really wasn't even the first time I had gone out on my own, but it was the first time I'd gone out in this new direction. So, yeah. And yeah. you're giving you're giving me some ideas because my oldest is uh, four years old. I mean, sorry, he's eight years old and he's going to be uh, going into fourth grade. So I, I can oh. probably start start to put him to work. You uh. can. You can. <laughs> and I'll tell you something, Samuel. His future employers will love you for that because yeah. I've talked to a lot of employers who say, "I want to know what age did they start working." And now eight or ten is a little over the top, but you know, 16 for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know if uh, $3.50, $3. you will, I, I think that would be a hard negotiation with him though. He's learning well, a lot about money, so uh, <laughs> we'll have to see how that negotiation goes. I don't, yeah, I'd be the first to come to his aid if you wanted to pay him that amount, but I still teach my parents <laughs> about that, but it all worked out, so no complaints. You've had a lot of that experience and you went down to write three books, you're a business consultant, you coach people on yes. their personal journey to leadership, um, there's so all sorts of things you've accomplished over the years. Uh, from, from all the things that you accomplished in your career, what's the one thing you're super proud of? The one thing I guess I'm super proud of is that I decidedly put my career on a different track back around 2001. I just written another book, which I almost don't even, I don't count in the, the three, but it's the, the, it really was the first one. It was called 401k Success Stories. And uh, the, the concept was great, and I can take, I can say that because it wasn't my idea. It was actually another a former employer that had me write this book and that they, they published it, um, chronicling people's, you know, ordinary stories of foreign care. But I've realized I don't want to about, write about personal finance the rest of my life. I was good at it. I had a steady stream of freelance work. A lot of repeat business, but my heart just wasn't in it. And so I moved from Michigan to the West Coast, which in an entrepreneurial Midwestern family, strike one, um, mm -hmm. to go to grad school, strike two, to study counseling. Like, all right, now we just know you're off the deep. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. it wasn't said to me, but it was it was a little bit of an exotic move. And I, there was no guarantee of success or mm -hmm. Or if, what if I just went back to the doing what I was doing before? There was, you know, and my second day of grad school was 9-11, the 9-11. And it was kind of tough, you know, scary. I was sleeping on an air mattress at that point. I hadn't gotten my real furniture. And um, I do have family in San Diego where I live. So that helped tremendously, still does. Um, but that was a big risk, and I count it as the, the thing I'm most proud of because that move, hard as it was, led to every other good thing in my life, from the Fox 5 segments to you know, looking out of my window of palm trees and um, uh, not only graduating at the top of my class with honors, but getting to teach 
at my alma mater on and off as an adjunct for 10 years, so many good things and so many good friendships that would have been unavailable to me had I just stayed in Michigan doing what I was good at but didn't enjoy. So, um, yeah, I that was a, a pivotal, pivotal decision and one that even on the worst day ever, it didn't even mm-hmm. occur to me to regret it. I just loved every every minute of it. Yeah, and I do remember September 11 very vividly as well because uh, August of that year is when I graduated from college. And okay. then I remember going back to the marketplace looking for a job was a very oh. tough thing to do uh, because right. everybody was just panicking what to do, right? Uh, and the con- country just kind of went bizarre. Yeah, we were so disoriented from that. Well, certainly, yeah, for sure. Well, obviously, you've gone through a lot, and now you're here, and you have a lot of successful stories to tell, but what exactly is your why behind what you do? What kind of motivates you and keeps your drive? You know, okay, it goes back to something that uh, a coaching client and I were discussing recently, and, and she said something to the effect of, well, I guess, you know, thriving's pretty important, and I said, and I used her name, I won't use it on here, but I said, I'll say, um, uh, Janice, Janice, thriving is everything. And, you know, I, I don't want to get on a deep end here, but there's a saying from St. Irenaeus I've always liked, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. There are not enough people who are fully alive, especially in organizations. They're going to work. They're not engaged. If I can reach the leaders, help them thrive, I think they will naturally create thriving organizations and they'll want their people to experience what they do because you know if you and I are working together I can't thrive unless you are but Mm -hmm. if I can get to those leaders so that they can influence the people on their teams we can make the place where we spend the most of our waking hours um, something that is just you know life-giving and and meaningful and a source of pride and passion and joy so, yeah, it's just thriving is everything. That's mm-hmm. how I would sum it up. That describes your company name. Yeah, Thriving Cultures. That's right. But you know what, Samuel? I discovered something just recently. It, it finally dawned on me, and I knew this on some level, but it became crystal clear. Thriving cultures start with thriving leaders. Mm-hmm. You want yeah. your culture to thrive, start start thriving yourself and it's easier said than done but i think it's worth the uh i think it's more than worth the effort i don't know it's like what else is there yeah which kind of is a good segue into our next next topic which basically is about the management and leadership because you know everybody aspired to be a leader right and sometimes we don't want the responsibility but we like the title Um, but we don't necessarily know right because there's a clear distinction between a manager and a leader maybe that's something you can probably help you know make our our audience understand a little bit because I know people kind of get the two confused. If you're right. just going to be in a manager role, that you kind of a leader, but you are a leader even if you are on a bottom pole, right? Like you could Absolutely. still be leading people. So if you want to make that distinction, that would be helpful. Okay, sure. The distinction, the way I see it, the way someone explained it to me long ago and it made sense leadership sets the vision and management carries it out. Now it's not quite that black and white, but that's kind of the the gist of it, but I completely agree with what you said about 
we're all leaders in some way. And I don't look at that as something as a nice to have. I look at personal leadership at every level as a necessity. Um, even if you're just leading your own life, leading your own, you know, you're managing your own time and projects and the quality of your work and the timeliness and your interactions with other people, you're a leader, you're leading. And everybody can and should take the initiative that is theirs. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, again, that's another way to create a thriving organization. Um, but does that distinction help? Yeah, and I think uh, one of the things that I've heard someone else say this, uh, I don't know if you know of Craig Rochal, he's, uh, he's written a lot of books on leadership. One of the ways that he described his leadership is influence. So anybody who has influence, which almost anyone, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be with a title on your mm -hmm. resume or whatever, right? On your business right. card. Because yep. anybody can have that leadership because they're influencing someone else, whether it be someone below them or even, you know, you know, basically horizontal or vertical, right? So basically that, from that perspective, everyone has leadership role, but it's re really how they, you know, like how they live that out is, is ultimately what matters. So which brings me to the question about culture, because I think, you know, leadership really, like you said, has a big impact on how a company culture really comes about. And oftentimes I've heard people say, if you don't create the culture, the, the culture is kind of form internally and you're mm -hmm. gonna have to live with it but it's better that you control and build the culture that you want to create right and you want to be as uh, influential in that process so talk to us a little bit about how does a leadership how does a leadership play a part in creating that culture especially that thriving culture that you describe okay I think it starts with having a shared vision mm -hmm. more than shared workspace if you have to choose between a shared workspace which a lot of people are kind of clinging to or saying we got to get back to that or a shared vision, choose the shared vision. That's number one. But number two, do not assume that everybody knows what that vision is or that they care. Um, and that's why I developed the, the course I did to take leaders there to, so to take leaders through a process wherein they can take their people through the process of determining what business are we in? And I use the example of Nike. Nike's not in the shoe business. They're in the business of inspiring the athlete in all of us. Mm -hmm. So that allows them to do clothing and podcast, all kinds of things that are not, you know, outside the shoe box. Um, so, but it starts with a shared vision. I, I, I cringe when I see companies focusing on, you know, take your pet to work day and, you know, crazy hair day or whatever. Nothing wrong with having fun, but mm -hmm. it's got to tie back to the vision. If that's not strong, you know, I had an old boss who used to say, entrepreneur through and through, and he used to say, yeah, we're a great place to work, but we're not Disney. You know, like we got to stay focused on the mission and on the vision. But if you can get people's hearts invested in that mission, they will come and bring their A game every day and look forward to it. Um Another key component of creating that great culture, very simple, but not always done, hire people you trust and then trust them. Trust them to get their work done the way they, you know, work the way they want to. Because if you look at high performers, Samuel, the thing they have in common is they all want flexibility and autonomy. Mm -hmm. And I think the leader's job is to hire people who can be trusted with those things and then trust them. Um, mm -hmm. 
So that's a little, I mean, that's a little of my perspective. I'd love to hear yours because I know that, um, you know, you're running a company too and, and you talk to a lot of folks. So what, what, are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think you succinctly uh, explain what basically that, the, the function of that leader is in terms of creating the culture, right? And I think it also comes down to um, like facilitating, right? Like the best talent to, to really shine and grow within that organization, giving them the opportunity. Like you said, if you are a dictatorship, people are going to react to that, right? But if you are in a culture of, you know, nurturing and building, right, that they're, they're going to feel comfortable, they're going to feel uh, uh, valued and trusted, and they are going to live out that. And, and also believing in the best in people and telling them they can be better than who they are. And then that actually increases their trust in themselves and will do anything they can to to add more value to the company. And ultimately that benefits the company and it also helps the person in, in terms of their personal journey in whatever role. Well, and I agree with that. And something I learned early on in grad school, which was kind of a no brainer, but it speaks to what you just said, that the best parenting style, and I would say in the best leadership style is to uh, challenge people, but also support them as opposed to, I mean, then there are leaders out there who are just my way or the highway and it's all about me and I'm the Pied Piper and that doesn't go so well. And so I think another key uh, aspect here for people listening is if you don't know your leadership style, take some time to identify it. Look through the eight or nine most popular styles, whether it's, you know, um, participative, which I think is my leadership style, there's servant leadership, there, there are all kinds. Some are more effective than others. But yeah, the, the visionary leader um, sees something not only in the company, but yes, as you said, in the, the people, pushes them a little bit beyond their comfort zone. And they go, yeah, I can do that. And I mean, think about the like the best teacher you ever had. It probably mm-hmm. wasn't the one who was most lenient. It was probably the one who said, you can do better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's the same with same in companies. What, what practical recommendations do you have for someone to actually do that leadership assessment? Is there any resource or tool that you may have on your side or somewhere else? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I have on my uh, blog a, a post that's been the last couple of months. It's May now, so probably in like March or April. That talked about I think it was the nine leadership styles. Um, so, uh, you know, and my blog posts are categorized. So if you just click on the leadership tab, should be fairly easy to pull up. And, and I think as someone reads through those, they'll know almost intuitively, yeah, that's, that's me or, well, I've been this, but I'd like to lean more toward, you know, again, say the servant leadership style or participative or, or whatever the case may be. But um, yeah, own that leadership identity and think about how is this going to go over with the people I'm trying to get to do, you know, to do what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. The, Maybe, the link will be in the, the show note, but in case someone couldn't get it, ginadilapa.com, right? That's where they can yes. go to the Okay. Yep. Blog. And obviously you touch on the, just kind of the leadership and, and having that, you know, just doing self-assessment self-assessment of seeing who you are and then that actually helps you lead people better. 
but also, you know, going back to what you were talking about, just personal development, right? Because leadership is something, it's not just innate. Yeah, I would say some of it is innate, right? It comes natural for some people, but it also yeah. can be developed. So talk a little bit about what are some practical advice you have for someone who might just be, a, you know, starting as a new employee today and aspiring to be somebody sometime in the future, or they're kind of thrown into the fire. Now you got to lead, right? Sometimes you have to lead the organization. You told me a story of how someone became a president in a university that you're a, a counselor, right? And that person became a leader and didn't even know how to speak to the to the, to the crowd. Oh, uh, so, us, but yeah, yeah. so, but basically, but yeah. there are practical ways you can improve your leadership skills. So talk a little bit about what are some of the things that leaders can do. Um, well, let's talk about new leaders because they're mm -hmm. the ones who are really thrown into the fire. And the, the challenge there is they're not, they're often, they're not given the resources to step into that role with confidence. And so when they don't have confidence in the new role, they almost subconsciously cling to the old one because they were good at it. It's kind of mm -hmm. like, you know, it's like going from high school to college. It's a big leap. And uh, so recognize that to succeed in your new role, you may need a whole new skill set. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. You're up for the task. But go get yourself some some resources, whether it's joining a peer group or uh, a mentor or do what it takes, put together your own kind of personal and professional development plan. Where I see leaders struggle the most in that transition is when they say, no, I don't need any help. Yeah, you do. You need you know, public speaking help. You need to know how to run a meeting. Um, you know, you need to realize that you're in a fishbowl now and your people are not going to um, respond to you unless you own that leadership role. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the last thing I would say on that is you have to understand that if you want your people to perform here, you've got to be up here because the people who report to you are always going to be or often going to be one level removed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you want your people to be excellent, you've got to be exemplary. If you want them to be pretty good, you got to be excellent, et cetera. But you've got to give them something to aspire to. Which basically you're saying the responsibility is on you and it's a reflection of you as a leader if you're people below you, right, is not performing at their optimal level. Uh, so look at yourself and see what can you do to improve your skill, which brings me to the personal development aspect of it. I know you have a lot of resources for uh, uh, leaders today or even some aspiring to be leaders, uh, but what are some practical ways leaders can invest into uh, improving their leadership skills um, in terms of growing in that, uh, their ability to lead? Well, you touched on one earlier. Honestly, I think getting comfortable with public speaking will make you much more confident and credible, much more of a natural leader. Um, I, I would, you know, start there. Um, you know, there's figure out your own learning style. Some people love to read. Some people can't stand to read. But whether there's listening to podcasts, uh, I listen to something on YouTube every day that's instructional or inspirational to stay fresh. But, I, you know, I had a, a boss years ago who said something uh, that I think will apply here to aspiring leaders. Get beyond these four walls. Go talk to people who don't think like you or look like you or, you know, live in your neighborhood. Um, 
expand your horizons and be willing to learn as much from other people as, you know, you're teaching yourself. Um, keep track of what life teaches you. And that was the basis of, uh, you know, of my books. It was just things that I had learned over the years and developed into a way that other people could relate to them as well. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, the learning, it never ends. And, you know, life would be pretty pretty dull if it did. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of my favorites are John Maxwell, Patrick Lencioni. Uh, I think even, uh, um, you know, those all those guys have amazing books on leadership. And, you know, just, I mean, just podcasts or even just listening to some of the, those books here give you a whole lot of insights on leadership, which brings me to a question about empathy because I know, you know, right now everybody wants flexibility at workplace and, you know, working remote, don't have the personal touch, uh, right, the, the, the interactions as much as you would if you were actually physically present in the same office. So what can especially leaders do leading with empathy, really understanding the need of the people and to make sure that they're serving them, right? You also touched mm -hmm. on the kind of the leadership style of um, um, servant leadership. Uh, what, what are some practical ways they can be more empathetic and be more um, showing kindness and gentleness to their, uh, their subordinates? There's um, a statement I read years ago by Nathaniel Brandon that uh, passed away a few years ago, but he wrote a lot of books about self-esteem. He was kind of in the company of Warren Bennis and some other uh, you know, big names in the leadership field. He said this, empathy has its roots in self-awareness. So if you want to be more empathic, you know, start with yourself, don't end there, but tune into your own needs for self-care and rest and renewal and all of that. And you'll be much more willing to hear about the struggles of other people without trying to just diminish those struggles or, you know, turn a blind eye, et cetera. Um, be willing to share some of your struggles. Now, it doesn't mean as a leader that you're going to spill your guts. Um, and it's a fine line, but, um, you know, don't use your people as a sounding board or I guess, or therapy, go, go outsource that. They've got, you can get that online if you want to, um, but take exceptionally good care of yourself and then be willing to ask your staff the hard questions. And I don't mean just in a group setting where people aren't as likely to speak up, but one-on-one -on -one, what's working well how is your energy level? What else do you need to do your job well? What else would be helpful for me to know? I used to ask that when I taught uh, grad school. I would teach I would, at the beginning of the semester, what are three things that would be helpful for me to know about you? And people could say, and I would give my own examples so they kind of knew the scope of what to include. Some people would say silly things. Some people would say very profound things, but it gave the leader a little more context mm -hmm. as to, oh, this person has a dying relative or whatever the case is, um, so that they could be a little more understanding. And then it's the last thing I would say, appreciate your team more than you think is necessary. Uh, if you think you're praising them too much, you're probably doing the right amount. As you said, when people are disconnected from the team, uh, and the the leadership and all of that, they need more reinforcement. Uh, so yeah, um, but again, it starts with our own self awareness. Yeah, you know, one one thought I have is obviously we you know we touched on empathy, and oftentimes it can get conf you know confused for 
just being enabling someone, right? Uh, instead of challenging them to be better, uh, to try harder, do whatever those things are to mm-hmm. be the best they can. So how, where does that find balance of, you know, just being kind and gentle versus empathetic, but also yet challenging enough to get that person to, you know, get out of their comfort zone and actually do what's needed to, to grow? Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because there do have to be limits to this or it does become coddling and that should not be the, the leader's role. There are still metrics to meet and there are still you know, standards to uphold, clarifying what those are and saying, you know, where do you see the most trouble reaching these? I mean, if you're having an employee who's struggling to, to meet those certain benchmarks, et cetera, um, you know, some deadlines and things, some things can be negotiated, but yeah, I mean, that that's, that's why leaders get paid more because they've <laughs> got to, they've got to um, uphold those standards and, and uh, build in accountability. And mm-hmm. the, the leader's job is not to do the work for the person. Don't let someone manage up, um, but help them own it. Find out, you know, what's holding you back. How can I help? But how can I help is not the same as how can I do it for you? You see what I'm saying? You've got to lead and coach in a way that is going to encourage that person to use their strengths, not, uh, you know, stop trying, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, one thing the leaders and managers and entrepreneurs all have in common is not having enough time. So obviously, uh-huh. you, you are a, a big on productivity hacks and you have... Yeah. apps and things that you're using to stay productive. So what advice do you have? And also, if there's any hacks that you can share with our audience as well, in terms of what you do to get what most important things that you have to get done, done. Well, okay. Yes, it's, we could do a whole podcast on that topic alone, <laughs> but um, and I'm sure we could fill the time nicely. But um, getting organized is extremely important for me. And it's something I'm always working at. Um, but productivity hacks for me, I use an app called Things 3. I have to pay for it, but it's worth it because I have it on all my devices and, and I keep lists constantly. Uh, coming up with systems for how to get repetitive work done, uh, whether it's writing a blog post or doing a podcast, whatever it is, so that you're not constantly reinventing the wheel. Uh, something I'm a big proponent of as well is working one or two steps ahead. So, for example, before I got dressed and all of that to get ready for today's podcast, I set up the studio. I checked, you know, I checked um, the framing of the shot. I got a glass of water so that I wouldn't be, you know, parched. I had the lights on. I had everything set up so that once I was ready, it was a matter of just gliding in and here we are. And I can just focus on the task at hand, you know, the conversation at hand. Um, there are all kinds of ways to do that. We've, I think we've talked on LinkedIn about, um, you know, setting out your clothes the night before. These are teeny tiny things, but the success of the day is built on, you know, you don't want to miss an important meeting because you couldn't find your socks. Mm-hmm. Um, prepare ahead, you know, um, if you want to drink 10 glasses of water a day, then you got to do something the night before to th- make sure it's going to happen. Again, these are little things, but you see people flubbing on these little details all the time. Um, 
So yeah, we're one step ahead. And I, I guess the last thing I would say, digitize as much as possible. It's a process I recently started digitizing all my notes. So I take it on an iPad, not paper, because paper's messy. And when mm-hmm. your office is a mess, it's hard to think clearly. Um, so just work at it every single day, chip away at it. And uh, yeah, and you will see dramatic improvement as the years go by. Yeah, and I think it's also kind of uh, prioritizing the important versus sometimes the urgent that comes in the way as well, right? Because having an organized system to make sure your important things are marked out and then make room for the urgent within your schedule. Uh, So if there was ever an urgent, you do have the, 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 the margin within your schedule to be able to address that as well. And I like what you said about preparation, but also perspiration, because I think oftentimes people look at successful people and think like, well, how do they do it? But there's a lot of preparation that went into that sometimes years and years, a lot of perspiration, a lot of hard efforts. Um, So I know Instagrams and LinkedIn can make it easy for someone else to just look at somebody's success and they're following in their amount of comments, but that just didn't come overnight, right? And I think just being patient uh, with yourself and also just sticking to the rules of, you know, hey, if I'm going to want to create an audience or I want to increase my leadership skills or whatever those things are, it is not going to be an overnight success. Uh, You got to invest in yourself and continue to exercise at those skills. Yeah, and along those lines, I heard a quote recently. I don't know if I'll get it exactly, but something like, don't compare your (coughs) struggles with, like, someone else's highlight reel. When you look on Instagram and LinkedIn, everyone's putting out the snippets of their greatest hits. They don't show you the, you know, the 98 times that didn't go or that kind of thing. Or as an example, when I'm on, you know, Fox 5, people say, oh, you look so natural and relaxed. They don't see... The, the list of things I do ahead or the fact that for the first several years of doing that, um, I would be a nervous wreck beforehand, but that you use that nervousness to channel you to prepare so that when the time actually comes, you can forget all of that and just be present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're right. Uh, success is never what it looks like on the surface. <laughs> well, certainly not. Well, obviously, you know, if you are a coach, you provide a lot of consulting and coaching for a lot of entrepreneurs and leaders and, um, and aspiring leaders. What advice would you give your younger self knowing what you know today? Good question. I, I would probably tell my younger self, trust yourself. Because when you see, when you, you're saying, you know, is it my imagination or blah, blah, blah? It's usually not your imagination. Um, there's a tendency, I won't say we all have it, um, but uh, to, to second, you know, to second guess ourselves. And I know I'm not the only one, but I don't want to pretend everyone has that either. Maybe they don't. But uh, when in doubt, trust yourself and mm-hmm. trust what you know. Um, I think one thing I'm very glad that I did and have done since my early 20s is keep track of what life has taught me. Um I don't like having to learn things twice if I don't have to. So, um, you know, and what you learn over the years is going to change and grow, of course, and get deeper and so forth. Um, but, yeah, most people are going to look back and go, yeah, I kind of should have done such and such back then. So don't wait. Um, don't wait for the perfect time. You know, whatever you're going to do, start doing it now. 
Yeah, like you said, if you've already made that mistake in the past, why try to repeat it, right? And part of the same reason why I encourage people to read books or even listen to audibles or podcasts or whatever is someone who's probably 25 years of experience, they poured it into about 150 pages. Exactly. And they're telling you what you can do to avoid the same mistakes or to excel in whatever the role or whatever endeavor that you might have. So pay the 15 or 20 bucks and buy that book because it's going to shortcut your uh, oh, path to success. Completely. Um, yeah, and I couldn't, I couldn't encourage that. You know, I wish I had learned some of those in college days that if the professors could encourage you to read it for the, the real reason as opposed to the assignments, I wish, you know, it would have been a much better place. But I think our, our education system needs to do a better job in encouraging the younger generation on why they should invest in learning, not as an exercise to just pass the grade or get a job. It's more so for even just personal dev development. Right. And if anyone's listening who is still in college or if maybe you've got kids who are in that uh, age range, uh, remind them that the real fun of learning begins sometimes after college. <laughs> I didn't exactly love undergrad. I, I didn't know how to study and didn't know that I didn't know. And I would sit through lectures sometimes seeing people taking notes dutifully and I would <laughs> think, you can't possibly find this interesting. I would write in my journal or just daydream. But here's why. One, after I graduated, I realized I would start listening to audio cassette. Remember Nightingale Conant? Mm -hmm. I'm sure they're still around, but they were big in the cassette program. And uh, I'm dating myself with cassettes, but um, I would listen to those incessantly. And I realized how hungry I was to learn. And I thought, I didn't realize in college how many ways there are to learn. So, yeah, pick things that fit your learning so I do love to read um, I prefer to read things though that I've selected not a professor but yeah um, yeah I mean uh, for me a, a book that was uh, had a big effect on me in my uh, earlier in my career the seven habits seven mm -hmm. habits of highly have, yeah. um, it's that's a tough book to exhaust yeah, and, uh, yeah. it got very popular and I think anytime somebody becomes a guru they become kind of a target and you know Covey got Cove, sort of, Covey's yeah Covey's all books are pretty amazing they are um putting first things first that was another one mm -hmm. uh, you spoke earlier about not overcrowding your schedule and mm -hmm. that was something that that book putting first things first impressed upon me it's not about filling every time slot on your day it's about making sure the most important work gets done and in fact you're better served especially as a leader if you leave some spaces in your day to accommodate the unexpected opportunity or crisis mm -hmm. any any parting wisdom for our audience parting wisdom well if you're going to become an entrepreneur I would say leave good tracks with your former employer. Don't uh, don't you know kind of take the attitude of well I just wrote them off or told no I mean the world's a small place so leave at your peak and leave on good terms um, and then once you become an entrepreneur or for anyone already in that space just believe in yourself uh, even when no one else does something Harvey McKay said but I believe it to be true. You're gonna have a vision that other people may not see. Well, it wasn't given to them, but um, keep pursuing it, keep surrounding yourself with people who are farther down the road than, than you are, um, and be a source of inspiration to other people. But who we 
associate with has much to do with, you know, uh, our own self-concept, our own conduct. So choose your company carefully um, and, you know, and be, again, be a source of encouragement to other people. Hmm. Great, Great wisdom. Well, Gina, I really enjoyed our conversation and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and time with us and wish you all the best. Thank you. Appreciate it, Samuel. Thank you. This episode of Coffee with Closers is brought to you by One IMS, a leading digital marketing agency helping businesses win new customers. To request a free marketing ROI audit, please visit oneims.com. If you enjoyed this video, please share it. To make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe.